when he was telling them a grateful name of Alan. Oh, that feels good. And somebody told me I wouldn't be so nervous at 1.35, and he's right. Um, I'd like to thank the committee for um, inviting me to uh, share a little bit about um, who I was, what happened, and what I'm like today. Um, first of all, I'd like to qualify myself for Al-Anon. Um, both grandfathers of mine were alcoholics. I was married to a person who I heard one time say he's an alcoholic, so I'll go ahead and take that. Uh, <laughs> I'm married to an active alcoholic for 12 years. Uh, I have aunts, uncles, cousins, and I am um, married to John, who I just celebrated 16 years um, in AA. Just last week, I forgot. He reminded me, so. Um, that's usually a big deal for me, but um, I guess I was busy doing my own stuff, so that's good. Um, so I qualify for Al-Anon um, from birth. Uh, what makes me an Al-Anon is um, I go to at least three meetings a week. Uh, I work the steps with a sponsor, and I work with others. And that, I feel, makes me an Al-Anon. Um, I will say that I did not start out being an Al-Anon member. I wasn't a tender. And for about seven or eight years, uh, I just kind of showed up. And uh, I was embarrassed about that for a really long time. I, you know, I came and uh, whizzed into my seat and then whizzed out, and I didn't hear them talk about sponsorship or the stuff. Uh, I don't know if they were saying it. They might have been saying it, but I didn't hear it. Um, so anyway, um, I'm the oldest of six children, and um, my dad is an affected family member, and he's the good one of his family. And I don't know if it was um, a gene that I got, or if it was something that I learned, but I'm the good one, and it's no fun being the good one, let me tell you. Um, but anyway, um, I'm the oldest, three boys, three girls, and, um, you know, looking back on it, I had a really good childhood. Um, the thing that I remember the most is my parents always were where they say they were going to be. If they said they were going to pick me up at noon, they were there. Um, if they said, and it was always drilled into my head, you always let someone know where you are. It is rude and inconsiderate to just vanish or not let anybody know. People worry. And so uh, I tried that once of disappearing, and I got in a really big trouble. And if you're a good one, you know, looking good is real important. And um, so anyway, I did that once and found out. Um, you know, my brother used to kind of get slapped around, but um, I used to get I'm so ashamed of you. And that was worse than any beating that I could have ever received. Um, I really like what Linda was talking about, about her dad. And I'm a daddy girl, and um, we still struggle today in trying to keep that relationship healthy instead of putting him on a pedestal or me on a pedestal. It's really hard. Um, like Peggy said, I do have a mother. Um, we have a lot healthier relationship than my dad. Um, but I remember when I was in kindergarten, and I couldn't see why everybody wanted to go to kindergarten. I wanted to stay home with my mom, and uh, my dad carried me in, and he said, and all these little kids are skipping in, and I'm like, you know, I didn't want to go, and so I said, Daddy, please don't leave me, and he said, I will be waiting right here when you get out, and he was, and I don't know why I chose an alcoholic when, you know, I mean, I was raised with, hey, you're here, you're here, that's all, but alcoholics are exciting, and I don't like them. So, um, so, anyway, um, that was the beginning, and uh, so, you know, when I grew up, uh, I have a brother, my third brother is autistic, and my parents did everything they could for him, and um, 
there was a lot of focus put on him in our home, and there needed to be. And as, a, as the oldest, I just knew that, and that was okay. Um, people were in and out of the house helping my parents, and when somebody didn't show up to do something, then I immediately took over. And uh, I can remember walking in the house some days, and like maybe eight years old, thinking this house is a pit. And I would start picking up the house and, you know, putting newspapers away and vacuuming, and then being very irritated when people would come in and want to live there. And this was a very young age, so um, I had a lot of conflicting messages there. But anyway, um, I grew up, and the people... The people that I chose as friends, I can see today, were not the healthiest, but they needed a designated driver, and I was it. And, uh, you know, if you hang out with people that, like, smoke pot and drink, um, you can always remind them what they did the next day. And, you know, I lived through them. And that became a real problem for me, living through other people. There's no life living through other people, but it's safe. Really safe. You don't like a hangover. You don't have cuts and bruises. Um, you don't eat glasses, you know, like beer glasses, nothing like that, but you can walk. And then you kind of get the excitement of it without really hurting yourself. But it gets to be really boring and you have no life. Um, so anyway, the boys that I dated not much in high school, and I did get calls from young men, but they always wanted to know if my friends were dating. And, oh, hi, Kelly, you know, as long as I date anybody. And so I not only drove them, but I kind of coordinated, you know, who was going out with who. So I was, I was busy. And um, because these people were fun. And, you know, I would be driving the car, and people would be drinking and smoking pot in the car. And I thought, well, if you get pulled over, I'd just tell them I wasn't doing it. And I thought, well, they let me go. And the thing I was going to tell you, my dad was a police officer. <laughs> And I never, that never happened, but um, I'm surprised you ever let me go anywhere now. I've never smoked pot, believe it or not. My husband can't believe it. I can't believe you never smoked pot. I did used to drink a little bit, but um, what scared me about drugs was my dad was on the vice squad. And when I was about 14 or 15 years old, he would come home with these gory stories and tell us, oh boy, and this one I'll always remember, and this is why I wasn't going to get anything laced with anything weird. Um... My dad said, yep, had to take this young kid to the hospital every day. He took a bad trip on LSD and he had to save his eyeballs with a razor because he thought there was hair growing out of him. Okay, you know, <laughs> you got me, there will be no none of that. So, But, you know, I would go to those parties and I'd pass along on, you know. I'd be like, oh, Kelly doesn't smoke, she doesn't do that stuff, and so I would just pass along. People, people knew that and they didn't care because I was always there to take care of them. So I was kind of handy to have around. Um, and so, you know, I was manipulative. Um, you know, the, my first real boyfriend, I don't know if he's in these rooms yet, but um, didn't have a job, didn't have a car. And our date consisted of he would come over and I'd beat him. And then he would, his friends would pick him up and then he would go do his stuff. And um, that was okay for me. And that started kind of my disease of it's not that bad. You know, that, oh, I remember when I beat him, Beatles and bologna sandwiches. And, uh, you know, this is okay with me. And so if we did have a real date, if we could get somebody to drive us, I mean, I was in heaven. We could go to a movie. And, you know, today I'm thinking, who was that person? Um, there's not much of her left anymore. Thank goodness. Um, but when it came to choosing a mate for life, that, that was pretty interesting. Um, I uh, was working at a, a bank, and my uh, one of my co-workers, and I was young, I was about 19, and she said, do you want to meet my brother-in-law? I said, no, I don't think I do. But um, we ended up going to this tagger party, and um, 
my dad always told me, never marry anybody you meet in a bar. I forgot to tell me about the beer party that you go to. <laughs> and so anyway, um, so I went to this party, and there was a young man eating one of those beer glasses he saw on TV that if you take a bite of it and chew it up real fine, you won't get hurt. And I'm like standing there with my purse and my car keys on, you know, somebody's got to rush into the hospital. And so, you know, of course, I'm ready to rush into the hospital. And he ate it and seemed to be okay. Um, but uh, that wasn't the guy they had for me, thank goodness. Um, but anyway, so I met this young man, and um, I don't know if he took me hostage or I took him hostage. You know, I mean, I was a willing victim. You know, I was a I was a volunteer. And we um, started on this... Um, we started dating, and we went to um, fucking traffic poles and wrestling matches and uh, movies and dances. I mean, we it was fun, and I thought, you know, this is going to be fun. And he asked me to marry him about six months later, and um, oh, okay. And now my dad's a police officer, and people used to say, you know, he checked up on you before you date. Well, my dad wouldn't do that. Well, um, this young man had a record. And he'd already explained it to me. He had uh, been drinking and he crashed his car. And somebody stopped to help him and he beat him up. So they arrested him. And it was, you know, poor guy. He was just trying to find his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, it was a, he was a victim of circumstances. And, you know, my dad just put up his hands, you know. He tried to help. And when he saw that there was nothing he could say or do to dissuade me from marrying this person, you know, my parents have always given me such unconditional love. You know, I hope that I can give my kids a fraction of what they've done for me. Um, you know, it was like, you know, I said all I can say, and we planned the wedding. And, you know, as it got closer, I was thinking, you don't want to do this. Yeah, you do. It'll be okay. You really don't want to do this. Yeah, it'll be okay. And about the time I was thinking, you know, the dresses are bought and all that, you can't call off a wedding. You look bad, you know, if you go ahead with it. And um, about the time I was thinking, oh, you know, you don't really want to do this, his mother said to me, we really used to worry about his drinking, but since you've been around, he <laughs> is so much better. And I thought, well, I have to. I have to marry him. You know, where will he go? And um, I know. It's, and... uh so anyway, we, we got married, and um, the roller coaster began right began shortly after that. We um, I say, well, there's a dance tonight. Well, I don't dance. Well, there, let's go to movies. I don't go to movies. And I was, we used to do this. Well, I never liked doing it. I did it because you did. And I just felt like I had been duped. I was like, you know, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so. I did what a lot of Al-Anons, pre-Al-Anons do. You try everything. And I won't go into it all. Um, I won't give anybody any ideas. When you think about yourself, come to a meeting, you'll hear. Um, but anyway, I tried everything. And I remember the first night that I went tracking him. You know, I could track him anywhere. And um, I tracked him down and to find papers for a new house. Because if you move into it, if you own a house, then things will be better. And... Um, so I tracked him down, and um, oh, there's one silly thing that I that I used to do, and I don't do this anymore. Um, just to give you an idea how sick I was, and you know, I'm just finding out today how many years that I've been coming to Allen on how sick I truly was. I didn't have a clue. Um, I had given so many pieces of myself away, and really not knowing who I was, 
Um, I just kind of became this person, and of course, I still went to the truck and tractor poles and wrestling matches. I'm happy maybe this would work, but um, one time, and you know, it was really funny. Uh, this last summer, my whole family got together, and we were sitting around. My brother said, "Can I do something?" And I said, "Yes." And goes, remember that time I came to your house and you were walking on the furniture? And I said, "Yes, I remember that." And he said. What were you doing? And what I used to do is I couldn't keep my life in order. I, everything was a mess. I couldn't control him no matter how hard I tried. I couldn't control him. I couldn't make him do. And it seemed like everybody else was making their husbands do. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. I mean, I tried not cooking. I tried cooking. I tried cleaning. I tried all that stuff. Well, one thing I would do is keep my house clean. And the whole thing was clean at the same time. Well, what I would do is I'd vacuum myself out of a room. And then everything was looking really good. And then if you forgot something, then you'd walk on the furniture to get around where you needed to go. And there you go. There's somebody up there. And it looked good. And, you know, my brother, I'm surprised he remembered that, you know. So much of when, when I started when I started getting serious with Al-Anon and taking everything Al-Anon had to offer, and I would go hear people talk, and I thought, oh, they were so funny, and they did so many fun things. And, I was always too afraid to do any of the thoughts that came to my mind. Uh, my ex-husband had a Harley, and I thought, I'll show him. I'm going to take this 1200 Harley out. Well, do you think I ever did it? In my mind, I was a great writer. Yeah, I could ship that thing. I could figure out, you know, everything. But I was always too afraid. I was afraid growing up, something would happen to my mom. What would happen? What if something happened to my dad? What if some, you know, I lived in so much fear that all the wonderful ideas I had that seems like so much the alcoholics carry out, I was way too afraid to do them, so I think my story would be really exciting if I could um, tell you, like, what I thought of, but that's really not my story, so um, I, it was a pretty boring, you know, I sat in the house and Peggy talked about the Venetian blinds, why well, I had curtains, and I could move them just a little bit so he couldn't even see if I was peeking out the window, I mean, it was... It was very sick, and then he'd get the silent treatment, and he'd think, well, I'm not going to stick around for this, so he'd leave, then I'd track him down. <laughs> I mean, the games, and I didn't realize, you know, I, I slowly narrowed my world until the only thing I did would be to go to the grocery store and go to work, and that was it. I didn't see my family. I had no friends. People um, quit asking me to do stuff when you keep telling them no, because I had to be there to watch him. Whenever he came home, I had to be there. And... Uh, so about three years into my marriage, and there were he was staying out all night, and this was a good one. I wanted to show him what it felt like to come home to an empty house and wonder where I was. So, yeah. Uh, so uh, I decided I was going to stay out all night, and I was going to show him. And Friday night, I used to get sick at five o'clock on Friday because I never knew what was going to happen. Everybody else was like, "Oh, Friday night, what are you going to do?" And I'm like, "Oh, Friday night, you know, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be peeking out my window." And listening for his car coming down the street because I knew the sound of his car. Um, so anyway, I was going to show him. So I went over to my sister-in-law's house and I came home at nine o'clock in the morning and he came home at ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can never, just when you think you got figured out. So that was close to the end. I said, uh, you know, I can't live like this anymore. And, um, so one, it was a Friday night and I waited until 6 o'clock, and I said, I'm out of here. I don't know where it came from. I packed up some clothes, and I went to my parents' house. And they were waiting there for me. It's like, you know, it was a total God thing. They said, do you think it's just drinking? I don't know. It could be. I, you know. And so the next day, they put me in a car and took me over 
to my aunt and uncles. Um, my uncle is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and had been for several years, and his wife is an Alamon. And they told me I couldn't cause it, I couldn't control it, and I can't cure it, and that I needed help. And I couldn't understand what they were talking about. If he would be okay, then I would be okay. I was just waiting for him to come home. You know, it's like, he would just come home after work. Um, that, that would have been enough. Um, so anyway, they said, he probably needs treatment. We know you do. So, um, uh, so at the time, um, I thought that he didn't love me and that I was going to do the brave thing and let him out of this marriage. And I was hoping that he would say, I came up with this plan, treatment or divorce, and I was so hoping he picked divorce because I was so ready to be done with the marriage. But if I said I wanted a divorce, I would look bad. If he wanted a divorce, then I would look good. And so if I got him to choose the right one, then I would look good, and he would look bad, and then things would carry on their merry way. Um, and so I said, divorce or treatment, and he picked treatment. I was like, <laughs> he's willing, you know, he's willing to do it. And so um, I made an appointment, and they asked him questions, and I answered, and they said, we have a place for you. And I couldn't understand why they thought there was anything wrong with me. I mean, I'm the one chasing him down, vacuuming myself out of a room, smoking cigarettes and drinking water as a diet, and I couldn't see anything wrong with me. And so uh, they said, um, you have a two-week program for you. And I said, okay, you know, a nice wife would do this. And so I did, and I didn't have a clue about what they were. How do you feel? I feel okay. And uh, so after the two weeks, um, this um, counselor was really mean, and she said, um, you're not going to make it. And um, so I started going to an Al-Anon meeting, and he was still in treatment, and I picked an Al-Anon meeting that had an AA meeting going on at the same time, so we go together. And uh, I know today that this meeting was probably not the healthiest meeting that I could have gone to, but for some reason I kept going, and I was talking to um, a friend of mine today, and I said, it's got to be my higher power why I kept going there. I wasn't, re- I was learning enough to get to keep my mouth shut, which was good, but I wasn't learning anything about how to change me and how to really look at who I am and the things that I do and really to own uh, all those things that I did that were not good because I'm a whole person. I have good, bad, whatever, and I always kept that bad stuff at arm's length. So I um, went to this meeting and uh, thanked your person for three years. That ought to give you a clue about where that meeting was. But... um. I remember, uh, and then he got out of treatment, and he didn't go, and I was crushed. But in the opening, it says, change attitudes can aid recovery. And I thought, well, I'll change my attitude, and we'll all recover. And that you can live um, with the, um, you can live something about, you can live with it, whether the alcoholic is drinking or not. And that's what I did. And I would report in every week at the meeting, and I'm trying to remember something good I did. And I'd say, well, he told me not to cut my hair, and I cut my hair. And I know that there's so much more to Alan on now than that, but I was doing the best I could. And um, <laughs> I didn't have a sponsor. Uh, I was having meetings at home with my um, One Day at a Time book, and that was really scary. But I kept going, you know, for seven years. I just kept going once a week whether I needed it or not. So um, I know today that that's not enough meetings for me. And uh, 
when I go to three, which is maintenance for me, there's a definite quality of recovery. Um, so, uh, we've been met, so we got back together and I'm going to Al-Anon and he's, um, about a year after, uh, treatment, uh, he came home and I smelled beer on him. And it was like someone had taken a bath and just like hit me right in my gut. I was like, oh my god, I can't live like this. I can't live with the all night stuff. And once again, I heard change attitudes can aid recovery. And I wasn't strong enough to say, I want to do this. And so I kept doing it because I have a very either high or low pain threshold. I can take a lot. Although my Al-Anon program today has really raised that. So, you know, when I heard it's like, ouch, what do I have to do to get out of this? But, um, so we, um, I called somebody at seven o'clock Saturday morning, somebody from Al-Anon, and I said, start drinking, what am I going to do? And she said, go to a meeting. And um, so anyway, I decided in my infinite wisdom, we need children. And I'm going to one meeting a week, and he's not going to any, and, you know, and I wanted kids. And I didn't care. I thought, you know, if I wait for him to get sober, we'll never have kids. And that's exactly what would have happened. He's still out there, and I wouldn't have my two daughters. So uh, I had two little girls, and... Um, Long about the time they were two and four. So let me go back. When the when my little one was about one, this woman walked into a meeting, and the meeting was on fear. And she talked about being found out, about somebody finding out how she really feels, what goes the crazy thoughts that go in her mind. And I thought she's talking to me. And I went up to her after the meeting, and I said, "Will you be my sponsor?" And I started following her every meeting she went to. I was going to five or six meetings a week. And the neat thing about Omaha, Nebraska, is uh, they had babysitters at just about every meeting that I went to because they realized that if you're living with somebody who's active, a lot of times you can't leave your children with them or you have plans to go to a meeting and they don't come home in a condition that they can take care of your kids. And so there's my one and three-year-old and we're, I'm dragging them to every meeting that I can get to and I start getting better. And it was amazing. You know, I hear a lot of times people are afraid to kind of get in the recovery because they're like, people get divorced. Not everybody does. Um, it so happened that when I got healthy enough, it wasn't enough that he came home after, that he came home after work. You know, I used to pray for, um, a relationship, a marriage that we could, that I could tell him exactly where I was and not be told it was stupid, that I could cry if I wanted to, that I could pray with this person. You know, and I used to pray, you know, please, you know, help me, you know, help me be better or help him or whatever, but I really wanted more than what was going on in that relationship. And there were some things going on in that relationship that were very unhealthy. And when I finally told my sponsor, I started having dreams about it because I was like, oh, he wouldn't do that. Oh, this can't be happening. You know, this denial I have is so strong. No, it's like, it's not hot and I'm not here. And um, also, you know, I've heard this, that uh, you put a frog in um, boiling water, it'll jump out. But if you put a frog in lukewarm water and turn up the heat, he'll adjust. And you turn up the heat, he'll adjust. And you turn it up and he'll boil to death. And that was, that was happening to me. And, you know, another thing, too, is I had two little girls. They were two and four. And I did not want them to think that this is what a relationship is. And, you know, and Alan, I'm here that you're not that big of a deal. But you are examples for your children. And I did not want them to have that. I wanted better for them. So if I want better for them, why couldn't I have better for me? And so with the support of Al-Anon and going to a lot of meetings, uh, we got a divorce. And I started going to a lot of meetings and I was going to 
the roundups and conventions and uh, really, really having fun for the first time. And there wasn't any alcohol involved, and I really liked that. People were fun, and, you know, um, I like alcoholics. They're they're fun, and um, John, he makes me laugh. You know, I mean, get unto myself, I'm way too serious. I mean, everything is serious, isn't it? Um, so I like people that can lighten it up and make me laugh. And so um, I'm going to meetings, and um, I've got these two little kids, and... Um, Try not to take myself too seriously. And um, a friend of mine said, "Would you go to um, an open meeting with me?" And uh, my boyfriend's speaking there, and so I went to this meeting, and um, there were some people there. And this um, John came up and introduced himself right away, and I thought he thought I was a newcomer, and um, he came right up and introduced himself, and then we went for coffee, and um, a bunch of people, and you know I was scared. You know, I was scared. And, uh, so anyway, my sponsor, that sponsor, she taught me so much. She taught me to stay in the moment because I always time traveled and I was a hypochondriac. So I had the symptoms and illness book and I had everything in it. And she finally said, please throw that book away. I'm begging you, throw that book away. And so then I was at work just a couple weeks ago and this guy goes, hey, if you get on the internet, you can look up all these symptoms and illness. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I go to doctors for that now. Um, but uh, I just really see how sick I really was and how focused I could become on just that, you know, that one thing. And um, so anyway, um, I was scared. My sponsor said, pray about it, you know, pray about it. And so two weeks later, uh, I was in the mall with my kids, and uh, I saw John coming down the hallway. And, you know, turn around and say something. No, don't do that. You know, turn around and say something. No, don't do that. And so I said a prayer. And I turned around at the last minute and said hi and introduced my kids and we started dating. And um, and it was fun. I mean, we were doing the roundups and open meetings. And um, about four months into dating, he um, got a job offer to Milwaukee. And I'm not going. You know, I cannot leave my family and my Al-Anon. Um, but, you know, the more I prayed about it, and this was another thing about my family and the sponsor I had, they loved me enough to let me go. And they loved me enough to make it easy. They said, whatever you have to do, whatever you feel is best. And so John and I, um, we went to court on December 22nd of 1991 to get permission to leave the state with the children. And we packed the house. Oh, we had Christmas on the 25th. And we packed the house on the 26th and got married on the 28th and moved to Milwaukee on the 29th. And my parents brought the kids on January 2nd. And they laughed, and we were all standing there. <laughs> you know, the neat thing is, um, I don't recommend that. <laughs> I knew I could move because of Al-Anon. I knew they had Al-Anon there, and I knew that it, it was something that I was going to need. And um, so on uh, December 31st, we went to uh, the Badger Music Party. And John had met somebody, and he said, he's got, he got Alan on Mike. Oh, good, you know. So um, I met um, the person who was to become my sponsor. And um went to some meetings, and they don't do it like they did it in Omaha. They don't do it right. And, of course, I wasn't smart enough not to tell them that. I'd show up every week and show, tell them how to do it. And they just kept saying, keep going back. And, um, and loving me and letting me complain about that they didn't do it right. 
until a year and a half later, I decided I was finally going to stay. And, um, you know, we were talking about this. When I moved there, there was probably, there was one decent meeting that I had found. There was probably several, but the one I had found. And now, in my opinion, you can go to a meeting there any day of the week because of this one meeting that was there. And you can get recovery and you can get fellowship that is so important. I think fellowship really needs to be stressed. Meetings are important, but the meeting after the meeting can be just as important. And uh, life was good there, you know. I mean, I had friends, and we were doing movie night, and it was it was really um, it was really a good time for us. Um, then John was doing really good in his job, and we were given an opportunity to move to Cincinnati. And at, at that time, we were starting to pray together, which is really awkward. And of course, I'm the talker in the family, so I would, you know, say long, elaborate prayers. Please do it. And John's is please. And uh, I think sometimes his is a lot more effective than mine, but uh, we prayed together and it, um, you know, it was just evident that it was time for us to go. And uh, we found a house. We had three visits to find a house here. And um, we found one the first, the second day. And the neat thing was I called somebody. And, um, that I knew here. The program, a friend of mine got the phone number of somebody that lived here. I called and I said, I'm coming to move there. I need to go to a meeting. So on a Friday night, I went to the stranger's house and her husband took my husband to an AA meeting and I went to an Al Anon meeting. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, I gotta start over. And so that's one of the things that's neat about Al Anon is at least once you've had that experience, I was ready for it. You know, it's not gonna be the same. The people aren't gonna be the same, but it's gonna be okay. And so I'm a lot wiser in that uh, I kept my mouth shut and I didn't let anybody know. Although there were times it's like, I'm just not going to share with them in meetings. Like, people really care. <laughs> yeah, not going to share. And, uh, but anyway, I kind of, you know, I got past that and the, ego, the whole ego thing and um, started going to meetings. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to move our kids. They're 10 and 12. And they have some really special relationships in Wisconsin. And it was really hard to move them in the first couple months. It was, it was tough with the 10 and 12 year olds. And, um, you know, the neat thing about what I have today is I went to a meeting on gratitude and I thought, you know, I always wanted a relationship where I could pray with this person and really be who I was and somebody to help me with these kids. And, um, you know, I have that more than I ever know. I mean, I get all caught up in that stuff and I'll be like, wait a minute and he will talk to them and explain things to them do you know why we're doing this and I'm like I'm the mother and he's like he just is a natural parent somebody that I could have you know I mean I got so much more than I could have ever wished for in this relationship um, so I moved here and uh, moved into a wonderful neighborhood and of course hit the ground running you know I, I cannot go to meetings I don't have the luxury of going when I feel like it. I'm like Peggy. You know, it's like I have, you know, my feet take me. And as much as sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to go, I have to be there. Because my behavior, even at three meetings a week, is, can be really bizarre. Um, my home meeting is Tuesday night, and one of my daughters who has dance class that night, and it really cramps my style, she has to be picked up at 9.15. And my meeting gets over at nine, and I like to socialize. And I, you know, I got pictures of him up at, you know, and I want to get my hugs, and I want to have to grab the money and leave. 
you know, and it pointed out to me that maybe I could um, look at this as an opportunity to spend time with my daughter, who's 12 years old, which is the two of us. I would have never thought of that. I would have, you know, talk about being selfish and self-centered. That doesn't fit into my plans. Ooh, you know, that person in mind, don't they know who I am? I only have two items and they're in the, you know, I mean, it's, I have all those same thoughts. Don't people know who I am? You know, I should, those people should move out of my way. This is inconvenient for me. And Al-Anon, what Al-Anon has given me is, at times I feel, I have those feelings a lot of, um, I need to be first in line. And this doesn't fit in with me. But what al has given me is I act differently than how I feel. You know, if I feel put out, I put on a smile and wait my turn patiently in line and don't bite the court checker's head off because she's not moving fast enough. If somebody in front of me pays it instead of cash. I mean, that stuff still happens to me today. That, you know, I can just go off like this, and this is, you know, three meetings a week and really doing the best that I can. So, I mean, I can't imagine any less than that. It would be really bad at my house. Um, so, anyway, I was given this. This is AFD police. And I always wanted the bad. Um, so that I could ask people, like, get a sponsor? Um, nobody, nobody ever asked me that when I first came here. And sponsorship was really stressed at the healthy meetings I found in Omaha and it's really stressed in Wisconsin and um, the newcomers don't last very long without a sponsor because people keep coming up to them and they get a sponsor just because they get tired of saying they don't have one. So people weren't really used to me about that here and so I would see the new people and I would go up and say, do you have a sponsor? And most of them would get one just so they could tell me yes and then I started saying, can you call her? You know, well, you know, if you really want to get the benefits of the program, you might want to try that. And then I just turn around and leave because no one told me exactly what I had to do, but no one ever said, you might want to try this. I just kept going. Like, I heard, keep going till the miracle happens. And um, so I don't believe in casual sponsorship. Call me when you feel like it. You'll never call. So I have people pick days. And that's so important to me. I, I really miss that when I first moved here. I still sponsored two people in Wisconsin. Um, but I um, was going to meetings, and I heard that. I went to a sponsorship workshop a couple weeks ago, and the question was, how do you get more people if you want to sponsor more people? And they said, have a meeting on sponsorship. And um, so I just keep showing up. And somebody said to me, next week, I think next week I'll be here for a year. And somebody said, oh, it seems like you've been here for a long time at my meeting, and I said, that's because I'm here every week, and I think of part of one of my, um, what I give back to al is, um, sometimes I don't have like a, I don't have like a whole lot of real original thoughts, I mean, everything that everybody has said, I mean, it's been passed on from one person to the next person, and some days I just need to be in that seat, you know, I just need to be in the chair, people know I'm going to be there, in my home group I've missed two meetings. And, um, you know, and I said, that's why it seems like I've been here forever, is because I'm here every week. And um, I try and share um, my experience, strength, and hope. And, you know, sometimes I'm not, somebody said, hey, you're always in a good place. And I said, keep coming. And the next Thursday, I was crying. And I said, see, you know, you keep coming. And I think it's important for me to share when I'm in a good spot. And it's important for me to come to meetings and share when I'm struggling and share when I'm in a bad spot. And then the people can see. Oh, you know, she's in a really bad spot last week, and this week she's doing okay. And so Al-Anon has given me 
so much um, to mention that um, some people from Wisconsin came. And like I said, there was a time I had no friends, and I just peeked out my window. And um, somebody heard that um, I was speaking, and it's like, you know, we're going to come support you. And um, one flew and five drive, and I was kind of worried. I kept Okay, like going like that, they'll find their way. They're adults. You know, it's like, how can I get them here safely? <laughs> they made it. Um, but, um, you know, we take our kids to open AA meetings, and at first I was like, who should be doing that? John's like, they live it, Shelly. And, uh, and so they go to open AA meetings, sometimes just for the cookies, but I don't care. Um, you know, we're raising our kids in a house where they, I can see how they're feeling. They're afraid. I see it. Nobody ever asked me, are you afraid? My parents were too busy to ask me. And I see it my kids and I ask them, are you afraid? You know, do you want to talk about it? They're allowed to, if I get too serious or like too whacked out, then they'll say, mom, what's wrong? It's like, you know, you're right. And they are allowed to be people and to have feelings. And, uh, you know, that's a gift. Um, we kid about our kids. One of them he's saving a seat for, one of them I'm saving a seat for. They could flip-flop, I doubt it. Um, when I first moved places, I get lost a lot. And Before I moved out of Omaha, I never went anywhere that I didn't know how to get there. And you move to a new city, and it's either you either just live on your block or you get a map. And one of my kids, pre-Elena, sitting in the back seat, wringing her hands, are we going to find our way home? <laughs> yeah, and the other one's like, where are we? <laughs> this is fun. Can we stop for ice cream? Um, I mean, you know, it's so fun to see these people, you know, who are just like me. And, um, you know, I really like that, that um, John is very, he can see things that I can't, and there are times I don't like that. You know, I say, like it, such and such. But he's right, and I've had to say, you know, you're right. Um, several times, and Eleanor's given me the opportunity to say that, but, you know, our kids will know a lot more about Eleanor and AA. Um, my ex-husband was in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, the only two times we got in major fights is when I wanted to move him out of Omaha, and when I wanted to move him out of Milwaukee, and, um, you know, I let him be angry with me, and the neat thing about Eleanor is what Eleanor has done for me is I've been able to walk through some really difficult times with dignity. And um, we uh, have a very good relationship. We talk about what we need to about our children. And one of the neatest things was um, both my kids had their first communion. And um, we've always tried to put them first. He's remarried, I'm remarried. And um, when these kids have first communion, John and I sit here, the kids sit here, and the dad and his wife sit here, and they don't have to choose who's going to be at the first communion. And he drove, you know, 500 miles to come to your first communion. And we could sit together, and they don't have to, because they watch all what they see, you know, what's going on between. And they can feel comfortable that, you know, that their parents are putting them first. And we talk about what's best for them. We do what's best for them. And we don't get into a lot of, you know, who did what. I keep saying, boy, if he ever gets into recovery, he's going to do something else. He really, um, we really try to put the kids first. Um, when I first moved here, I don't do well with a lot of quality time by myself. And my kids are in school, and I was getting a little weird. And my husband was like, maybe you should find a job. And um, so I sent out seven resumes, seven or eight, and this company called me, 
and I went for an interview and I got this job. Perfect job. Everybody here's like, oh, perfect job. Uh, I go to work after my children leave for school and I'm home an hour before they get home and they pay me well and I just kind of show up and do whatever they ask me. And, you know, there was a time when I think I'd have been too afraid to do that and Alan has given me my life back um, in a way where I can go up to people, you know, I used to be really shy, but what Alan has taught me is there's somebody in this room or people feel the same way that I do. What do you say after you say hello? Maybe nothing. Have a good day. But Al-Anon, having service positions, has taught me to go up to people and say, hi, how are you doing? And when I'm not able, there's a person sitting right here. I'm standing in line waiting for the speaker, and I'm kind of standing there feeling kind of locked out, turns around and introduce yourself to me. And that, to me, is the beauty of the program. When I'm not able to extend myself to somebody, the phone rings, or somebody will come up to me, or I'm able to go to somebody because I can tell. I've been there. I know. I see, you know, you know, what do I say? And so I don't worry about saying stupid things anymore, you know, because most of the time all people want to do is just be recognized and give them a hug. And that's another thing I started doing at this Tuesday night meeting. I get there a little early and um, stand there and give hugs to the person. I said, I'm the greeter. Can I greet you? Can I give you a hug? And, you know, people are getting used to it. But you've got to start somewhere. You know, I mean, that's I need eight hugs a day, and I don't always get them. So I stand at the door and greet people. If they don't want a hug, I'll give them a handshake. But um, I think it's important to be welcome because when you move to a different city and you've been going to meetings for a long time, um, you're not put off by not being welcomed. You know, and so I want everybody that goes, like what Peggy said, I want to make a difference. I want people to feel welcome. They may feel different. They may not get a thing out of it, but I want them to know that they're welcome in the rooms of Al-Anon. And the neat thing about Al-Anon is um, there, all that has to be is a problem of alcoholism and a relative or friend. You don't have to bring that person. We'll take your word for it. You can just come on in. And um, what I learned in Al-Anon is you can get out as much of it as you want. And, you know, for seven years I played. I just showed up, took a seat, and thank God I waited for the miracle to happen because, you know, I suit up and I show up and um, I act differently than how I feel. So I'd like to thank everybody. I'd like to thank um, people that came a far distance and my new friends. And um, thanks for being here because um, this is what keeps, keeps us going. Thanks.